and worship team. I, just, I love it. Beautiful stuff. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, and um, it's good to be. It's good to be together. We are. We're in an adventure through the life of this dude named Eliyahu. Everyone say Eliyahu, or or Elijah, and his name means. Yahweh is God, or Yahweh is my God. This small, like four or five chapter nugget ensconced in the story of the scriptures, and we're spending like six or seven or whatever weeks marinating and trying to think through the life of Elijah and think about our lives and our world and our right now. So this is what we're up to. As um, many of you know, I'm, I'm a professor full-time, and so normally I'm teaching like three-hour lectures. And one of the things I love to do is to put music to things. I notice I teach mostly like history or interpretation, scriptural interpretation, classes like that, which can be a bit dry. And so I I like multi-sensory encounters with subject matter. And so I love music scores. I study to them, I write to them, I teach to them. And what I love about a music score is, well, everything, if it's a good one. And if you hear a song, it sort of reminds you, like, oh, I know what that's from. All of a sudden, a story comes to mind or something like that. And it's a familiar, if it's a familiar song. So I got this new speaker for uh, my, my Christmas present to myself. It's called a party box. It comes with the microphone. Do I love doing karaoke? Absolutely. I love karaoke. And I want to start off with just kind of a fun, like, I don't know, a little deal. See how literate y'all are when it comes to movie scores. Okay, so I'm going to play some, some music. And I want to see, like, it'll start really easy. We're going simple first, like real obvious stuff. See if you can guess like what this is from, either a movie or a show or something. All right, so let's see how familiar these are. Let's start pretty, pretty easy, I think. Here we go. Oh, immediately. Harry Potter. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Family Matters. Oh, 90, any 90s people out there? Family, great show. Okay, all right, let's do another one. So, like, you hear this song, and you're thinking about, like, oh, yeah, I'm at Hogwarts, it's Christmas time, things are happening, kids are being disobedient, yet being rewarded for it in the end. You know, that whole theme. As a parent, you watch those shows very differently. They should not be wandering off like that. Okay, how about this one? This one might take a minute. And uh, those of you staff folks at the last service, you cannot guess. Oh, close. Ooh. I like the ambition, though. You're, like, in it. We're going to guess. Uh, is it Pirates of the Caribbean? All right. Give it 30 seconds and we'll know. Or like two seconds. Yes, you're on the Black Pearl or like with one of the greatest characters of all time. Captain Jack Sparrow. Okay, how about this one? This one is very South Bay. Very South Bay movie. Ooh. If you want a song in your head for the rest of the day, here it is, La La Land. Yes, absolutely right, Kirby. On it, La La Land. Filmed in Hermosa Beach, California. The Lighthouse, Hermosa Pier. Rewatch it. It's a great movie. Okay, this one's a little bit more of a... a we'll see. This might take a minute. 
Okay, it's, it's not the theme song, but it's, just listen for a minute and see what it says. It's going to be a long sermon, so this is just going to let it breathe for a minute. When ideas start percolating, when feelings are evoked, Like I said, I'm used to three-hour lectures, so I could be, I have stamina. <laughs> Close. All right, Michelle's going to get this one at some point. Uh, yes. That is a creepy show, by the way. Can we talk about that for a minute, Teletubbies? How did that ever happen? How was that? A, the baby in the face of the sun? It's like some strange Mesopotamian deity or something. It's, it's from Stranger Things. It's the 11 soundtrack. But Shelly, I am really disappointed in you, honey. You came to the sermon for two reasons, to laugh at dad's jokes and to get that. Okay. All right, how about this last one? This is actually going to, let's see who gets this. I actually like starting classes to this. When I introduce the syllabus, although let's go through the syllabus. I'm not kidding. I'll put this on. This course, you'll be learning. All right. You're... Nope, close. Soaring over California, yes, close. So you had the. I was like, is that soaring over California? What? Okay, yes, absolutely. Isn't that a great ride? You're just you're on it. So, while this plays for a second. In this sacred anthology of ancient Near Eastern, ancient Mediterranean texts we call the Bible, those scriptures have several, what I'll call like just scores to them. These thematic elements, these, these images, these stories that show up and you'll see it in one part and you'll be like, I know that, I've heard that before, but not here, it was in another story. It was in another section or another era or epoch in the biblical narrative. And today, as we look at the life of Elijah, we're going to look at a tiny little snippet, like a little itty-bitty piece right at the front end of his story. It takes up maybe like 1 18th of, his, of, of the entire narrative. It's a little section. But in it, we're going to hear, like these movie scores, something so familiar that we go, oh, I've heard that. That was playing earlier. And then it was playing at another section, at another time. And so I want to just read it to you. You can listen along or read along with me, but it comes from a section and a story of the scriptures that we call, uh, we've called First Kings. And in a chapter we've divided, and by we I mean um, modern interpreters of scripture, chapter 17. And it's right after this guy Eliahu, Eliahu is commissioned by God as a prophet. And a prophet is someone who speaks God's word to God's people. And oftentimes it's a hard word. It's not a fun word. People like Elijah, you would be bummed if they showed up. Like, ah, oh, great. What is it now? Like, what's the bad news? Some of you run businesses and you have that person on the job that when their number comes up, you go, uh-oh, there's a problem. What's the issue? And this is, this is Elijah. He shows up and God tells him, because my people Israel, and there's a 
big, big, big prequel to this, big backstory. Because my people Israel, the way God frames it essentially, because they are cheating on me, they're being unfaithful. The relationship of Israel and God sometimes is imaged like, it's like a, like a husband and a wife. This is just one metaphor that's sometimes used. And essentially Israel's like, hey, I'm also going to hang out with this neighbor and that neighbor. And I'm going to spend a little quality time with some other deities and some Syrophoenician deities and some Canaanite deities. And you know, it's no big deal. I still love you, God, but I also like them. I want to be with them too. And God comes in and says, no. This is not, this doesn't work in a marriage and it's not going to work in my relationship with you, Israel. And so he sends Elijah to tell a bit of good news. Hey, folks who are dependent on agriculture and rainfall, there's going to be no rain for a few years. And this is dire news he shares with them. And then in the midst of a famine, we get verses 2 through 6. Then the word of the Lord came to Elisha and said this, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. So if you think about, um, if I told you there's going to be famine, so uh, drought, what I need you to do is pack up and head to like 29 Palms or Adelanto or the Mojave Desert, Right, just go out there, and you're like, what is out there? How about this one, Landers? You ever been to Landers before? Anyone here from Landers? Okay, I'm not going to, okay, well, all right, we got one person from Landers. You know Landers, right? It's like, it's, it is not a place where there's a lot of rainfall. It's desert, and he sends them out to the desert, and it says this. It's famine, and you're going into the wilderness. So he, and it says, you will drink from the brook. It's like, in Israel, you call them a wadi. It's like a dried up riverbank. It's basically like half of the trails in Palos Verdes that became rivers over the last few weeks, right? They're rivers for a little bit, and then they're back to dry. You'll drink from the brook. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food in that spot. And so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. He stayed there, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook there. Okay, this little story, God seems to enjoy teaching his people in stories like this as well, teaching them using really extreme examples. Let's get someone in famine in the worst part of town you could go to, which is a wilderness in a drought, and then you're going to find my sustenance there. You're going to find my provision there. I've actually titled this sermon, Favor in Famine, Favor in the Midst of Famine. You're going to find my favor in the absolute last place you'd ever look for it. Then the brook dries up, and in the next section of this chapter, which Todd preached on a couple weeks ago, he says, okay, now I want you to go, instead of where there's going to be famine, go where there's famine and it's like the belly of the beast. So if you read the story um, and scroll back a bit, you'll find out that kind of the nemesis there's two of nemeses are um, Jezebel and Ahab. And Jezebel is the daughter of a Sidonian king. And she loves a storm deity by the name of, well, he's referred to as Baal. And she really, she is not very tolerant or open-minded when it comes to uh, the worship of Yahweh. Indeed, she says, no, I want this deity worshiped, and I want prophets of Yahweh destroyed. Okay, so this is not a kind person, and it's not a safe place. And God says, all right, Elijah, Eliyahu, move on over from the desert, from the Mojave Desert, 
in famine and go to Sidon. And then once you're there, I want you to not just be in enemy territory during a famine, but go to the most marginalized, unsafe space you could think of, which is the house of a widow. And there you're going to ask and say, hey, can I stay with you? And can we, can I eat and drink from what you have? And this widow says, I have one thing left. Todd preached this beautiful sermon on this. I got one thing left, and that's it. And I don't know what we're doing after that. And Elisha says, okay, this is my interpretation. All right, you're going to think this is stupid and crazy. I'm not a con man. Just keep making cakes with that little you have. Keep making little flour cakes. I know my God. We're going to be okay. And this is what happens. He stays there at the duration of the famine in enemy territory in the house of one of the most marginalized, non-economically powerful people. This is what's weird. I noticed this as I'm going through this story a bunch of times. I noticed the soundtrack. Like, oh man, that sounds so familiar. And if you keep reading, we'll go through all of these in this series and have different sort of topics and thoughts on them. But there's this dude named Obadiah. There's a great title for like a lizard if you have like a big lizard. Obadiah. Eat your flies. Obadiah. So there's this dude, Obadiah, who's an administrator in Ahab's kingdom. And Ahab's a bad dude. And Obadiah, has, he's trying to thread the needle. of Like, how do I encourage and help God and his people and yet still be part of this apparatus that's really hostile to those things? And so his solution, we find this in chapter 18, is he takes a hundred prophets of God that are faithful to God and he hides them in two caves. And it says in verse four of, of chapter 18, 50 in each cave and he supplied them with food and with water. Okay, this is interesting. I'm like, wow, a lot of talk about like food and water. And when, I was a preacher's kid. My dad was a preacher. And every time I was really thirsty in church and it wasn't the kind of church that I can get up and go. It was like old school Baptist. You can't leave once the service starts. It, I felt like that was always whenever there was talk about water. You know, like it's water from a rock or water from you know, Jordan River. So I don't know why I said that, stream of consciousness. Um, then after this great encounter he has with the prophets of Baal and this power encounter, which that'll be a great sermon, Jezebel doubles down on her hatred of Elijah and says to him, I want you dead, and I'm not going to like eat until you're dead. You are going to perish. I will make sure you're dead. And Elijah runs. Eliyahu's like, I am going to die. And he says, Lord, just kill me now. He's out in the wilderness again. He goes a day's journey in the wilderness, 19 verse 4. He came under a broom bush and said, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So here's Elijah in absolute exhaustion. How many of you have been in exhaustion? How many of you are in burnout? You're in a place where like, I've been pedaling so fast, so hard for so long. I just want to lay down and just let it end. I'm so exhausted. You've been caring so much. This was Elijah. Big, powerful, super power dude, prophet of God who hits exactly where a lot of us get to. I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. Watch how God meets him. God looks at him and says, man up, pain is weakness, exiting the body. No. So I tell my son in the mornings when he doesn't want to get up. <laughs> it says this, all at once, he lay down, he, he lay down and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up, eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, he drank, 
and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. He ate, he drank, and he went back to sleep. So if you haven't noticed the motif, it's like really obvious, right? Like food and drink and the basics of sustenance and finding those in deeply unlikely places. This is like the musical score. Now, let me ask some of you that have been around the story of the scriptures for some length of time. Does this remind you of any other space that the Israelites were in? Does this remind you of anything? Their history. Yeah, this is the, heck yeah, Brooke. Come on, Brooke. No, get in there. Awesome preacher. Um, yeah, man, Exodus 16. Israel's in the wilderness. If you've ever watched the Prince of Egypt, you get caught up. They're in, the, they're in the wilderness. They're hungry. They're thirsty. And God says, all right, I'm going to give you food in the morning. It's going to make a do. It's going to feel like a do. You have this massive people movement, this exodus out of slavery in fertile Egypt into the desiccated wildernesses in and around Israel, and you're going to be sitting there, and I'm going to feed you. And they wake up in the morning, and there's this weird dew cake thing on the ground. They pick it up, and they say, mahu, mahu, which is literally manna. That's what the term manna means. You know what manna means? It means, what is this? Is that hilarious? It literally means, what is this? It's like, mahu. That's, we keep the term. I love that. No one decided to change it. There was no rebranding process. Like super vital foods. No, like, let's call it, what is it? It's, it's this food that sustained them. And I mean, this, this goes all the way through. I want to, the last scripture I want to read to you, um, I'm actually going to put music to it because it's so beautiful. Maybe one of the most magisterial teachings in all of human history whether your relationship with Jesus is, I'm just curious about him, I respect his teachings, or you're, you've been a follower of him all in your whole life. Wherever you sit on the spectrum of like, thought and, and belief, this is a teaching that you need to hear. And it goes, I'll put some music to it because it's so good. No one can serve two masters Either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes? And he points the eyes of this Galilean peasants who are literally living day to day. And he says, look up real quick with me. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap. They don't store away in barns. They don't have 401ks and investment strategies. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes grass, which is here today and is thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of such little faith. Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
for the nations run after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Verse 34, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Such beautiful teaching. How many of you right now would like a 2023 or maybe a just next week where there's less anxiety, there's less spinning, there's less waking up at 3 a.m. and wondering, will there be enough? Will there be enough time? Will there be enough love? Will there be enough money? It's a question that we're haunted by and humans have always been. Um, these passages just show you the sort of theme song. The Bible is so repetitive. One of my students asked in class last week, I was introducing just the basics of what is in here. And I was showing them how it's, this, this anthology, this collection, it, it spans in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, over a millennium. From like mid-second millennium B.C. all the way through the mid-first millennium A.D. This ma- I mean, uh, B.C., this massive amount of time. Various authors, various geographies. Many of these are, are actually compilations of other scrolls and texts. Yes, inspired by the hand of God, but like massively spread out. And the student asked, how is it that there's a continuity in all this? And at first, I'm like, my first thought was so basic. It wasn't like the big spiritual, like, well, God's hand has been weaving it all together and planting mysterious connections throughout. Yes, God's hand's in it. I believe that. We believe that at the River Church here. And, and I know everyone's on a different journey, but that's where we're at. But actually, the answer I gave was like, well, it's a good question. And I go, the Bible... It's seriously repetitive. If you ever read this thing, it's really repetitive. As a youth pastor telling students, read the Bible. It's so cool. It's awesome, man. Crazy things happen. Surprise things happen. Action, action, love, romance, bad language. There's a little bit. All this stuff's in the Bible. Kids, read it. And they start reading it and they go, boy, this is boring. Like, yeah, it's really boring in the sense that it's a repetitive. It's telling you like the same five things in 50 different ways with 50 different characters. Why? Because I think it, it's got the best anthropology of all time. It understands humans. It really gets us hominids. It gets our things. And one of those things is, will there be enough? Will there be enough? Will there be enough? And God says, I am enough. Look back up here. Look back up here. Look at me. Look at me. Um, two massive byproducts of trusting the Lord. I just want to mention these. Trusting in God, when we actually are able to click over like Elijah, like Eliyahu, and go, I know my God, this might sound stupid, but there's going to be enough. When we really click over into that, two byproducts. One, I think it releases you to be present in the day before you. I mean to really inhabit the space of the day. That passage at the end of Jesus' magisterial teaching on where our heart lies. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? He's not like Pollyanna-ish about tomorrow. He knows tomorrow will have tomorrow's troubles. And today has today's troubles. So let's just, let's grapple with and pray through today's troubles. Let's be prayerfully, passionately, and playfully present right now. And when we can let go of the fear of will there be enough and truly trust God. And that's faith. That's a weird thing to do. 
That's like not just upstairs here. That's full existential. I trust you, God. You're, you're able to actually inhabit the day before you in a beautiful way. I have a nice long C.S. Lewis quote on that, but if you want it, come get it afterwards. I think it's first it allows you to be present. How many of you, by show of hands, would like to be a little bit more present or a lot more present this year? I want to be, I want to be right now. I want to be in that intersection of where reality is, where God is working right now, not in the imaginary goblins of the future, where it's always a little bit worse or a lot worse than it ends up being. I want to be right here, right now. And trusting God allows you to be there for the day. And second thing I think it does is it unlocks the adventure of generosity. This is a really fundamental piece. When we try, and Todd preached on this a couple weeks ago really well, but when we trust God and we know there's enough, when you know you are with your super, super, super wealthy and generous father, who's a good, good, good father, and you're with him walking around, you're just not worried, will there be enough? You sort of, it's a childlike trust. You, you, and you're able to be generous and able to give and share because you know this thing, this pot just keeps refilling. Like this, this account just keeps getting where it needs to be. The bills are covered. Provision is there. It really is childlike. I, I was at a, a basketball game uh, Brixton, my son's basketball game yesterday, and there's a farmer's market in Torrance, and I took my five-year-old Zion, we went on a walk around the farmer's market with the family, Michelle was there and everyone, and I only had my phone, and I don't know how to do all the Venmo stuff, that's all mysterious to me, so I'm not sure, and, and I didn't have any cash, and he wanted the popcorn, he wanted the popcorn so badly, he's like, dad, get me the popcorn, dad, get me the popcorn, my son's very persuasive, like physically dragging me to it, I'm like, son, I don't have any cash. Yes, you do. He looked at me like, what are you, lying to me? I'm like, no, I don't have any cash, son. You have cash. I go, do you have cash, Zion? He goes, no. I go, then we're not getting popcorn because none of us have cash. But like, he couldn't fathom the idea that I couldn't just get him something. Like, I wasn't able to because he knew, like, my dad can afford popcorn, right? I, he can do that. When we know who God is, we could go like, yeah, my, my dad can afford popcorn. I can, I can trust him for that which means I can open up my heart and I could give that fat, ridiculous tip to a server that you know is going through a hard thing. I can cover a bill for someone that I know would never ask for it, but they need it right now. I can open up my wallet and say, you know what? I believe in what's going on at this place and that place, and I'm just going to give. Why? Because you're not shackled by the fear of tomorrow, and you know my dad can buy me popcorn. It's just popcorn. It's beautiful. There's a, I want to close off. I'm going to actually... Um, have Kathy Johnson, Kathy Kellogg Johnson come up here. If you know Kathy, you got to love Kathy. She's amazing. If you don't know her, you've used Kellogg products um, for your garden and your soil, whatever. She's got this amazing company, an amazing person. But um, we, she's one of our council of leaders at our church. We have a, we have a team of like leaders that kind of help us think big picture about where we're going and what's happening, what God's up to. And we had this really cool conversation on Wednesday night. And we're talking about generosity, and, and Kathy shared with us, like, when it clicked for her, and I go, Kathy, are you in town on Sunday? <laughs> like, she checked her book, yes. I go, can you share this with us? And so, Kathy, I want to ask you, invite you to, just to share this with us, and then the band's going to come back up, and we're just going to worship the God of abundance. But how does, like, trust and faith in our God unlock generosity, and when that click over for you? When it clicked. Thank you, James. Thank you. And I did bring visual aids this time. 
<laughs> and so Ron's going to pull up this picture because the story and the thing that unlocked my heart in terms of generosity what took place in Laboa, Uganda. My oldest son, Connor, you see in the middle there, wandered off in his uh, freshman year of college. He needed a break and a gap year, and he really did wander off into Uganda, into Laboa, and he lived here. And the next picture is, and you see all the boys there, Derek and Patrick, they're all, and Ivan, they're all wearing Connor's clothes pretty much. He went all the way down to just one pair of underwear. And the next picture, yeah, he lived in this, this church, Resurrection Life Church, that saved him. I mean, he was in the middle of nowhere and no cell phone, and he heard singing, and here this, this is where the singing ended up being in English, and then it was a worship song that he recognized, and he wandered into this place. That's his bed. He lived for seven months, no running water, no electricity. There were his roommates. That's Patrick and Ivan. But So he's in this church of res life, and um, I really kind of wanted him home and to complete college. <laughs> How, but he said, Mom, I'm not coming home till you come and visit and see what I've created here, what, you know, the boys I'm saving. And so this is where he lived. This is, um, again, the boys walking home. There are no paved streets. There is very little electricity. And um, the next sh uh, slide shows that um, the way they live, this is a mom that let me take her picture, but literally dirt floors, a little bit of aluminum siding, and when that is her whole home you're seeing, and when she has her next child, the oldest one is now on the streets. So what, who Connor was caring for was these boys who were the 11-year-old, but because her mom just had a baby, the 11-year-olds just fight for himself. Next is um, her little little child who this is a daughter who just wanted me to take her picture so bad so I did so next was um, there's next to Res Life Church is Mama Mary and I met Mama Mary who cares for these orphans she's I think somewhere between 80 and 100 like you can't tell how old she is but you can't believe she's still living and she keeps taking these orphans off the street into whatever situation she has which are like kids like this, no diapers, the toy this little girl was playing with and proudly showing me was a train spike. And because in the next picture, these orphans um, at Mama Mary's, uh, that I'm, this is Res Life Church and Pastor David. Pastor David has Giving Sunday. Giving Sunday was quite a phenomenon. It was um, people came and brought anything they had and this is the stage, and they walk up to the stage and they give. You'll see the next picture is, um, there's just literally whatever they had in their house, whatever they could spare, they brought up, and there it was on the stage. And the next one that really caught my attention was this chicken in a bag that someone brought, because that's what they had. They killed the chicken in their yard and brought it to church, and this was their gift. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, here's, this incredibly impoverished neighborhood. So this next picture is um, the kids in, in Mama Mary's orphanage and they don't even have mattresses, right? They, and no diapers and, and she keeps bringing in the next child. So when Mama Mary brought the children into the church, I'm thinking, of course, they're gonna receive these gifts that the community's giving. But no, Mama Mary had had the children melt sugar and wrap it up in cellophane. And each of these children brought their gift 
for someone less fortunate than them. Those little babies putting their little cellophane with sugar in it on the church stage melted my heart. This little guy, I think Kendall's holding his hand. You see right behind him, his bed didn't even have a mattress on it. He was sleeping on metal slats. But Mama Mary was teaching him to give from what he had. It broke my heart. It broke open my, why am I worrying about my 401k? Like, really, why is God, like, why am I concerned about tomorrow when I've just witnessed this? So, thank you. That's what I wanted to share. So much, Kathy. So, worship team, come on up. And, yeah, it's, it's so beautiful when you catch these visions, when, when, you tr when you can recognize that we have a God who will provide. It, it unlocks an incredibly beautiful door, an adventure of generosity. And there's not an a income limit to that. It's this beautiful truth. And I want to live more into that. I want to live with my life, not just my, my words, which are easy to say. I want to be more generous. I want to be more present in the moment because I know my dad can buy all the popcorn that I need. Um, so we're going to do um, some communion. Bill, would you come up and lead us in, in our communion and our worship? So this story points to Jesus, and he said, I'm the bread of life. And in communion, we celebrate the fact that he's our sustenance, and he provides for us with his own body. And so there's symbolism with communion in these little plastic cups with a wafer that represents the body of Christ and the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, is so simple. It's easy to look past it, but this is Jesus offering himself to us. And so when we come to the table, we have the opportunity to remember what he's done for us. So I'm going to invite you in, in quiet as the band plays behind me to go back. And if you want, get elements and come back to your chair. Would you do that now? In a moment, I'll lead you through very quietly. And so the scriptures tell us, if you take out the bread, the scriptures tell us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he looked up the bread and said, this is, this is my body, which is for you. It's given for you. So I want to invite you to take it in and um, commune with Jesus. And after that last supper, Jesus took a goblet of wine and he lifted it up and he looked his disciples in the eyes 
And this is serious. Because <laughs> Jesus knew what was about to happen in literally several hours. He said, this is my blood, which I'm giving for you. And as we partake together, this enables us to live with the freedom to not be fearful about tomorrow because Jesus will walk with us through today. Let's partake together. I invite you guys to stand as we finish. we do come to you in every season of each of our souls this morning and thank you that you empower us to meet with you to be with you so lord let these words not just be lip surface but um, let them be the truth that we stand on You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Let's sing that again. You unravel me. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Help us believe it this morning, Jesus, from my mother's room, from my mother's room, you have chosen me, your love has called my name. Child of God, I'm not. 
this morning and we thank you that you are the God who is with us. You are our father. You are a provider. You are good. And Lord, I think I prayed this before, but let it not just be lip service, but let it be the truth of our hearts this morning, that we would look to you as you provide a way, as you provide everything, God. You are more than enough. We have all we need in you. So may we look to you in faith as a child who knows that their dad loves them. So in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. <laughs> amen. <laughs>